Hello, this is Dr. Mike Barnett with the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Thank you so very much for tuning in to our podcast, and I pray that today's message will be a blessing and an encouragement to you. We are engaging our people at First Baptist Church in an emphasis called Who's Your Mission? It is a challenge to personal soul winning and personal evangelism for the year 2023. We've asked our people to ask God for at least one soul to be burdened for that they might go after that soul and win them to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the theme of these current messages. And I pray that they will encourage you to be a soul winner and go after one soul that needs to be saved now and to know Jesus now. I pray these messages will help you. And again, thank you for tuning in. Just as I'm not. Just as I'm not. You are, might be familiar and probably are familiar with the grand old invitation hymn, Just As I Am, that Billy Graham made famous in his crusades uh, through the years, always at the... supper together, and he'd say, put your cell phones up. No, he never had to say that, amen, <laughs> never had to say that, but uh, he'd say, Let's, we'd pray, we'd ask God to bless the wonderful dinner my mama would fix, and then we'd pray for the Billy Graham crusade, and go in there and watch it, and I'd stay awake as a kid through the whole thing, listening to every word, while my sister and brother would be playing around, and that's not no, but I do remember them. And every now and then I'll tune into a Billy Graham classic and they'd still play that hymn, Just As I Am. But today, we're going to see a man who came to the king just as he wasn't, just as I'm not, trying to be something else. And we're going to see that as we go through this text. Let me read a couple of verses to you. Uh, now it came to pass after the death of Saul when David was returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites that David had abode two days in Ziklag. Now there's a little bit of a backstory that we need to talk about. Last week we went 
all the way back some uh, years, decades uh, prior to this verse of Scripture. But today I want to tell you just within a period of days a couple of things that take place that give us an understanding of what we're about to talk about today. There's two things uh, overall that we need to be reminded of. First of all, we need to be reminded of a discouraged David. A discouraged David. When after David slew Goliath in that miraculous uh, slingshot shot, uh, Saul, you remember, grew jealous at the popularity of David. And David eventually had to go on the run from Saul. Saul wanted to kill him because he knew that, that David was going to be king and jealous and envy and all of those vile sins of the heart that bring us to terrible actions. He tried to kill David on several occasions and David had to flee. And he went to En Gedi there in the wilderness south of Jerusalem by the Dead Sea. He went here and there. And um, the Bible says that eventually about 600 men came to David while he was in the wilderness. And the Bible says these men were distressed, discouraged, and in debt. The reign of Saul had ruined their lives, and they were wanting a new king, and they were willing to submit to David before he was ever king. Can you imagine saying, I'm going to go follow David? And David, I mean, was probably considered by many in Israel as a vagabond, as a fugitive. Indeed, he was running from Saul. But upon a day, it got so bad that David decided the best thing he could do. Now, it was a bad decision and a wrong decision, but he decided the best thing he could do was make his way over to the city of Gath which was the hometown of Goliath, remember? And he goes to Gath, which is one of the five leading cities of the Philistines, and he goes and embraces and asks for asylum in the Philistine camp. He basically said, to hide from my enemy, I'm going to go to my enemy. And he goes to... Uh, the Philistines in Gath. The king of the Philistines uh, is excited about it. He likes it. As a matter of fact, he's very impressed with David, and he makes David his bodyguard. And he gives David a city. He says, David, I love you so much. I'm so glad you came, uh, and, and you're my bodyguard, and I'm going to give you a city. You can have the city of Ziklag. That's your city, David. Do what you want to with it. And so David lived there for a while, and things rocked along pretty good, and it seemed that David's scheme, which was not of God at all, was going well until one day it came time for the Philistines to do battle with Saul again, with the Israelites again. And it was going to be a major conflict. David was in the straits. What is he going to do? Is he going to fight with his newfound friends, the Philistines? Is he going to run away? 
Is he going to try to put on some kind of act and look like he's killing Israelites when in essence he's not? What's he going to do? He's in a great, great quandary. That's what happens when we get out of the will of God. But God was gracious, and God was kind to David, and God protected David. Thank God when we make a fool of ourselves, God always comes out and says, I'm going to help you. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I'm going to help you. And so David uh, is ready to go to battle. I can imagine his heart is torn. He doesn't know what he's going to do. And the generals of the Philistine army uh, come to Achish, the, the king, and say, Hey, uh, we, 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 we're ready to go fight. We're with you, but we don't want to fight with David. We, we get over there in that conflict, and he'll turn on us and go back to his own people, and we're dead men. You've got to send him back. And so the Philistine king goes to David and says, David, um, I'm sorry to tell you this, but... You can't go fight with us. We don't want you here anymore. You would think that David would take the opportunity and hightail it, don't you? But you know what he said? Well, what have I done? I read that as I was preparing through Samuel and 2 Samuel. I read that and I said, David, get while the getting's good. Son, don't argue. Get out. But he argued a little bit and the king said, you got to go. Achish says, you got to go and go back to Ziklag, David, and go on. So David went back to Ziklag and the armies of the Philistines went to Gilboa, which we'll see a little more about Gilboa next week. They go to Gilboa, and uh, they're going in different directions. When David gets to Ziklag, he finds out that a marauding band of Amalekites, the Amalekites were ancient enemies of Israel. As a matter of fact, they were so cruel and brutal in their attacks and treatment of Israel as they came out of Egypt in the Exodus that God declared Amalek a condemned people group and he said, I'm going to wipe out the Amalekites from the face of the earth and he said, I will always be at war with the Amalekites. But they're still around in David's day. Saul had the opportunity to, to uh, end them one time and didn't do it. But they're, they're still around in David's day right here. And uh, David gets to Ziklag and finds out that a marauding band of, of Amalekites had come in and looted the city of Ziklag, taken prisoners, including David's family, his wives and the wives of his men, and just taken off with them, kidnapping them. David goes after them. Remember that? He goes after them. And he catches up with them. It's a remarkable story. And he wreaks havoc upon them. You don't go into one of David's cities and do that. 400 of them escape, but the rest of them meet their fate. And David comes back to Ziklag. That's when the Bible says when David got to Ziklag, he saw what happened, he was discouraged, he encouraged himself in the Lord and went to battle. And then he goes back to Ziklag. In the meantime, while that's going on in Ziklag, Saul, the king of Israel, God's, not God's king, man's king, is fighting the Philistines and he suffers a major defeat. The army of Israel is defeated. Saul and his sons, and many upon many upon many of his men are all killed in battle, and the battle is lost. It is a tragic day in Israel, folks. It would be like 
most of our high command being wiped out in one swoop. What's going to happen to our nation? Are the Philistines going to rally and invade further and take more cities and kill more Israelites? What about our women and children and our families? What about our fields? What are we going to do? The, the nation has collapsed at Saul's defeat. All that happens in chapter 30 and 31 of 1 Samuel. And all within a few hours with the, of each other. And so David goes back to Ziklag and he's there two days, according to the text. And on the third day, this man that we're going to talk about today comes into the camp. David had just won a major victory and he is now the king because Saul is dead. We're going to see in chapter 2 of 2 Samuel that only the tribe of Judah surrenders to the kingship of David. The rest of the tribes re repel and reject and rebel against David. We're going to get into that. It's fascinating. One tribe out of 12. Doesn't this sound familiar to you? That a man fights and wins a major battle and three days is confirmed as king. And few receiving and most rejecting. Doesn't that sound like the Lord Jesus Christ? There it is. He's everywhere you look in the Bible. He's everywhere you look. You can't go to Leviticus without finding Jesus. He's there. He's everywhere you look. Well, we come now to this man that we're going to read about who wanted to be accepted by the king. He knew that David was going to be king. He knew. And he wanted to be accepted by the king. And believe it or not, we're going to see he is an Amalekite. And he has some courage he approaches the king. Now here's another interesting comparison. He is the very first Gentile to ever approach a Jewish king. Isn't that wonderful? And want to be accepted. You say, well, how is that a comparison? Well, don't you know that you're a Gentile? Most of you are Gentiles who have come to a Jewish king to be accepted into the kingdom? Huh? I was a Gentile. I was a Texas Gentile. You were a Mississippian Gentile. I see some George County Gentiles. And you came to the Lord. You came to the king to be accepted into the kingdom. And I want to tell you something. You were accepted if you came just as you were. But if you came just as you weren't, 
you're still in rejection. This is a message for those of you who want to be accepted by the king, but you don't come honestly and humbly before the Lord. Are you ready to get into it? Let's look at this man. First of all, I want you to notice, if you will, his claim. His claim. Let's read um, verse 2 again. We'll read through verse 10. And it came even to pass on the third day that, behold, a man came out of the camp from Saul with his clothes rent and earth upon his head. And so it was when he came to David that he fell to the earth and did obeisance. And David said unto him, Where do you come from? And he said unto him, Out of the camp of Israel am I escaped. And David said unto him, How went the matter? See, David doesn't know. How went the matter? I pray thee, tell me. And he answered, That the people are fled from the battle. And many of the people are fallen and dead, and Saul and Jonathan his son are dead also. And David said unto the, king, unto the young man that told him, How do you know that Saul and Jonathan his son are dead? And the young man that told him said, As I happened by chance upon Mount Gilboa, behold, Saul leaned upon his spear, and lo, the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. And when he looked behind him, he saw me and called unto me and answered, and I answered, Here am I. And he said unto me, Who art thou? And I answered him, I am an Amalekite, King Saul. I'm an Amalekite. And he said unto me again, Stand, I pray thee, upon me, and slay me, for anguish has come upon me, because my life is yet whole in me. So I stood upon him and slew him because I was sure that he could not live after that he was fallen. And I took the crown that was upon his head and the bracelet that was on his arm and have brought them to you, my Lord. His claim. Three things about this man's claim as he approaches David. First of all, I want you to notice his look. He looked real good. He looked awesome. His clothes were torn as if he were in grief over the loss of the battle and the loss of Saul and Jonathan. He looked so good or wanted to look so good when he approached David, he had dirt on his head. Now, we don't grieve like that, but they would throw dirt all over him when they would cry and mourn. And he was in great grief, looking good. And he came to David and he fell on his knees and he did obeisance. He started to honor David. He looked good. And then David asked him the first of five questions. Where do you come from? And that opened the door to not only his look but his lie. This old boy who came as he was not began to lie to David. And he told three lies. And if you're coming to the Lord Jesus with these three lies, you will not be accepted any more than this man was, as we will see. 
First thing he lied about was his condition. David asked that first question, where do you come from? And he says, out of the camp of Israel, I have escaped. Now the words to us here in 2023 Mississippi just sound like it's, it's uh, him saying, I was in the conflict with Saul and, and um, I thought I was going to die, so I, I ran, I escaped. They didn't get me, they got everybody else. Well, there's more to it than that. These words, out of the camp of Israel am I escaped, are words of somebody who are, is trying to portray themselves as either what the Jews would call a God-fearer or a proselyte. A God-fearer was somebody who was dissatisfied with the gods they worshipped and was interested in the one true God, Jehovah, of the Jews. We read in the uh, New Testament, a God-fearer, probably Cornelius, in the book of Acts was a God-fearer, somebody interested in the one true God, Jehovah, and seeking some truth. Or a proselyte. A proselyte is somebody who converted to Judaism. They became a Jew spiritually in and, 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 and their faith, and they were accepted. Uh, Ethiopian eunuch in, in the book of Acts is a proselyte who came to Judaism, and then, of course, he became a follower of Christ. And so you have this man giving these words that are lies to look like he's somebody who doesn't want to be an Amalekite anymore, and so he phrases the answer to the question so it just sounds good. Can I just say something and not, not try to belittle any wonderful ministry, but he, he, he said... He gave the Sunday school answer, all right? And so he lied about his condition. Second of all, he lied about his commitment. He starts telling the story about coming up on Saul. And he says, I saw, saw, saw. And he, he was not dead yet. And I knew the Philistines were hot and heavy on him and they were going to get him and abuse his body and no telling what would happen. And I didn't want to see him so ridiculed. And he looked at me, and, and this is really fascinating to me. He looked at me and said, come over here. And I said, here am I. Did you read that in the text, those three little words? Here am I. The Hebrew word here am I is hanini. Isn't that a neat word? Well, it really is. Because if you were an ancient Jew and you said Hanini, you were submitting yourself totally to that person. It's the word Abraham. When, Abraham, when God came to Abraham in Genesis 22 and he said, Abraham, get up, go to Mount Moriah and take your only son whom you love and sacrifice. Abram said, Hanini, here am I. And he did it without question. Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah goes into the temple to worship after Uzziah's death, and the Lord shows him his glory, and the Lord says, says, who will go? Who shall I send? And Isaiah said, Hanini, here am I. And he went. 
This phrase, here am I, is found all throughout the Old Testament. And it is a word of, I'm here to serve you with everything I've got. I'm here to give you my whole life. Here am I. This man knew exactly what to say. But he lied. You know how we know he lied? Because he didn't kill Saul. He didn't kill Saul. He lied about his conduct. He said, Saul said, come here and, and slay me. And he says, I, I killed him. Well, we know from the previous chapter of 1 Samuel that Saul fell on his own sword. When Saul was dying, he looked at his armor bearer and said, kill me, they're going to, they're going to come and get me. You better kill me. I, want to be, I don't want to be alive when they come. And his armor bearer said, not so. I'm going to, I, I can't do that. And so Saul fell on his own sword and took his, finished his own life in battle so the Philistines wouldn't get him. But this man claimed to have done it so he could ingratiate himself to the king. He thought that if David believed that he took Saul out and he told these lies, I'm loyal to Saul, that's why I took him out, that David would award him and accept him and receive him. He came just as he was not. I think it was W.M. Taylor, an old commentator, said this Amalekite little knew with whom he had to do. He didn't know David very well. So his look, his lies, and there's another thing that uh, concerns his claim, his loot. Look at verse 10. His loot. He said, look at here. He said, I've got his bracelet and his crown, David. Saul's crown. I brought it to you. The bracelet and the crown, David. Saul's dead. I brought this to you. And I'm going to make you king. Now you're the king. And, and you're the king with my help because I brought this stuff to you. David, you need a little help, I, and here it is. I'm bringing you the crown. I'm bringing you these good things so you'll accept me. Trying to ingratiate himself to David, his loot. We'll deal with that in a few minutes. This man looked good on the outside, didn't he? He looked good on the outside. But on the inside, he didn't want to repent. He just wanted to live. It reminds me of that little boy who was defiant against his mama. Now, old Jack never does this. But, uh, right, <laughs> he was defiant against his mama. And his mama took a chair and put it in the corner and took
took that boy and put him in that corner and said, you sit down and you face the test. So mama turned his back and that little boy just stood up standing up. Mama came around and said, you better sit down and face the test. Little boy says, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. So she goes over there, turns around and just forces him down and he sits there looking at that corner and as soon as she walks away, he stands up again. And finally she says, you son, you wait till your daddy gets home. Now, I can remember my mama saying that to my brother and sister. You, that's a lie. <laughs> I remember those words ringing through both my ears. You just wait till your daddy gets home. And that little boy sat down, pouting, and he turned to his mama. He says, Mama, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the outside. I'm standing up on the inside. This man, he was doing obeisance on the outside, but he was in rebellion on the inside. We're going to see that type of behavior in people before David throughout 2 Samuel. It's there. Abner's that way. Absalom is going to be that way. Absalom's going to kiss him. Didn't somebody sit down on the outside and stand up on the inside named Judas and give him a kiss? This Amalekite, his claim. Now notice his contrast. This is how we know. This, in our day and age, and in the life of the New Testament church, this sometimes takes a little time to get to this point for this to be seen. But when David had this man before him, it seemed pretty evident to David right off the bat, his contrast. Notice what happens in verse 11. Then David took hold of his clothes. A lesser, a lesser man would have taken hold of the crown and the bracelet. And a lesser man would have said, you're right. I am king. Give me that crown. But David took hold of the collars on his cloak and his clothing and ripped it in great grief and sorrow as was the custom. And it says, the Bible says, the Bible says that likewise all the men that were with him did the same thing. And they mourned and they wept and fasted until even for Saul and for Jonathan his son and for the people of the Lord, for the house of Israel because they were fallen by the sword. David mourned. A lesser man would have done a dance and said, my enemy's dead. But David mourned. And the fascinating fact, those 600 men that we talked about last night who went to serve David before it even looked like 
David was in his humiliation, when David wasn't on the throne, when the crown wasn't before his feet, when Saul was still living and still trying to kill him and still looking like it might happen, these men went out to David in the wilderness and in Gedi and Ziklag into the far regions of desert country in their failed lives and surrendered themselves to a rejected king and followed him wholeheartedly. And here we see they shared his heart. They shared his life. What broke David's heart broke their heart. What brought grief to David brought grief to them. What When David ripped his garments in grief and mourning, so did they. See, God's people who have approached the king in their distress and in their sorrow, in their sin, and they've come to the king for a new life and have been accepted and granted. God gives them his life. He puts the life of Christ in you. It's called regeneration. And all things, old things are passed away. All things have become new, and you're a new man, and you share the heart of God. What burdens him burdens you. You care about souls. He cares about souls. You love one another. You love his people. He loves his people. And these men shared in that. All but this Amalekite. He found great joy in the fact he got to bring the crown and bracelet off Saul's arm and head. He rejoiced in the fact that David might by chance think he was the one who just stood over Saul and stabbed him. He didn't have the heart of David. The old boy was right. He little knew whom he had, with whom he had to do. He didn't know David. And then, look at verse 13. We see his claim and his contrast that exposed his heart. Folks, I want to tell you before we move on to the next thing. Unregenerate church membership. Those folks look wonderful. They serve in every corner of the church. They're very busy. They look real good. Seem so committed. But they do not have the heart of God. They do not have the nature put in them by the Lord Jesus Christ, the new nature. And sometimes, one time, a day coming, that contrast will be seen. They can't put up with their, they can't put forth their hypocrisy long. And then will come condemnation. Let's look at his condemnation. Verse 13, And David said unto the young man that told him, Whence art thou? He begins to ask some more questions. I told you he asked five questions. Three of those questions are opportunities for grace for him. Where do you come from? How did things go? How did things go? How do you know Saul and Jonathan are good? 
Two more questions now. Three are opportunities for grace. Two are declarations of judgment. Where are you? And he answered and said, I am the son of a stranger and a Malachite. I can't say for sure. But I think there was something about David's official will finally have to admit his lie. I'm not a proselyte or a God-fearer at all. I'm an Amalekite. I think of one day when people will stand, church members, non-church members, religious, non, will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ at the great white throne judgment, and those eyes of fire will pierce through and say, where do you come from? And there'll be no lies there, just like there's no lies here. And his own words brought his condemnation. Look at verse 14. And David said unto him, How wast thou not afraid to stretch forth thine hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? And David called one of the young men and said, Go near and fall upon him. And he smote him that he died. And David said unto him, Thy blood be upon thy head, for thy mouth has testified against thee, saying, I have slain the Lord's anointed. Truth came out. David discerned his eyes like the Lord, flames of fire penetrating through to the soul. That's his condemnation. That's the end of it. That's the end of coming to the Lord just as you're not to try to paint a picture, to try to appear clean and whole and wholesome. You know, the Bible teaches repentance. You come to God in repentance. You turn from your sin and you turn to the Lord. And you don't want to live that way anymore. You don't want to live for yourself anymore. You want to die to self and live unto Christ. And you turn, you repent, and you hate your sin, and you want to stop it, and you want to cease from it, and you turn from it. But today, somehow, in our world, we think the Bible teaches penitence. There's a difference. The Bible doesn't teach penitence. Penitence says, I'm filthy, I'm dirty, I'm going to clean myself up, and I'm going to look good, and then God will accept me. Well, the Bible doesn't teach that. That's from the devil. Because what happens is what happened to this man. It eventually becomes, oh my, I know I can't clean myself up, but the least I can do is look clean. We can look clean. And so we dress ourselves up as best we can. But the Bible teaches repentance. You don't want to come to the Lord like this man came to the Lord with lies, looking good, and the lies of, oh, I'm sincere, I'm sincere. 
You, you don't want to come saying, I took care of it, Lord. Here's your crown. You don't want to do that. First of all, it was as if this man was saying, look at here, I'm going to make you king. Let me tell you something we Baptists need to eradicate from our vocabulary. We need to eradicate this idea that says, won't you come and make Jesus Lord? I want to tell you, he's Lord, and nobody but God the Father made him Lord. He's Lord whether you receive him or not. He's Lord, and he's king of kings, and he's coming back whether you think he is or not. And he's going to rule and reign, and you're going to fall under judgment of God whether you think you are or not. He's Lord. You don't make him. You don't make him anything. Amen. Oh, I'm just going to make Jesus Lord. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> Who am I? I'm going to tell you, you don't make him anything. He is the great I am. And you don't bring him a crown. It's God who crowns him. So enough with your loot. It's filthy rags to the Lord. Enough with your lies. Come as you are. So how do you come just as you are to the Lord? Maybe I have described you, or, or not me, but the text has described you to the letter. And this is you. And you know it. The Holy Spirit's telling you it's you. How can you reverse that and repent from that and turn from that? way you've approached God all your life. Well, how to come just as you are. Number one, you confess the truth right off the bat that you are a condemned race. The human race is condemned. If this man had come and said to David, where do you come from? David, I am an Amalekite. I know we raided your city. I know we're condemned by God to be at war with God. By the way, the entire human race is at war with God. Did you know that? Did you know the Bible says every man, woman, and boy, and girl outside of Christ is at enmity against God? Do you know that? That's what the New Testament teaches. So we're all from a warring race against God. If this man would have come and said, I'm an Amalekite, things would have been different. Things would have been totally different. But what did he do? God, I'm, I, I'm one of your people. I, I was in that camp of Israel. And then second, you don't bring anything to the Lord but your sin. Don't bring anything. When you come to Jesus to be accepted by him, don't bring anything. Don't bring your good works. Don't bring anything. Don't bring your church membership. Don't bring it. Don't bring your good, kind deeds, your charity. Don't bring your tithe offerings. Don't bring anything. You just come bringing your sin, dirt and all. The prodigal son didn't check into the Motel 6 and take a shower before he went home. He brought his hog slop with him. That's all he had left. You take everything that you think is good and you throw it away. Paul said, you know what, Paul, Paul used very strong language. He said, I count everything I've ever done as dung. 
you come with your sin. You bring your sin. And then thirdly, you come and you plead mercy. You say, Lord, I'm an Amalekite. God said, my people are going to be wiped off the face of the earth. God said he will forever be at war with us for how we are. But God, King David, I don't want that for me. I want mercy for me. And you can grant mercy to me and forgive me and give me your heart and give me your forgiveness. That's how you come to be accepted by the king. Now, you might ask the question, well, wait a minute, preacher. I'm a, I'm a Bible historian, and the Amalekites were to be wiped out. 500 years later, they were. So uh, how do you know this Amalekite would have been received? Well, I'm also a Bible historian, and I read that the Amalekites were not the only condemned people group. There were some others. Matter of fact, the whole realm and population of Canaan land was to be wiped out. The whole city of Jericho was to be wiped out by Joshua and his armies. God made it easy for them. He tore down the walls for them and said, go in there, no survivors. But there was one lady in there of a condemned race by the name of Rahab. Not only was she a Canaanite, but she was a prostitute who repented of her Canaanitis and her prostitution, turned from the Lord and asked those spies for mercy. She said, we know what God has done, your, your God has done to all the peoples that y'all encountered. We know what God did to the Egyptians. That's the kind of God I believe in. Will, will you spare me? And those guys, you know what those spies said? They said, when it comes time for the city to fall down, if you will hang this scarlet cord out the window. God and us will spare you. We know God will do it, and we'll do it because we have his heart. We're his people, and we do what he does. And the walls came down, and you go over in Matthew, and she's in the Christmas story. You know why? Because she got behind the blood, the scarlet cord of redemption. God spared her out of a condemned race, I want to share something else with you. Can I give you one more? There's another wonderful woman. They're all women. I think there's a lot more, but I like talking about her. She was a Moabitess. You know what God said about the Moabites? God said, I wash my hands because Moab is my wash pot. Everything I don't want on my hands, I'm putting in the wash pot. They're a condemned race. 
Well, there was a famine in Bethlehem, and a family moved to Bethlehem, and they, one of the boys married Ruth, and another boy married another girl. Well, the boys died. Then the man died. Elkanah died. And you know what happened? Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, goes back to Bethlehem, and she says, I'm going back to Bethlehem. Famine's over. I don't want to live here in Moab. I don't want to live here in the wash pot. And one of those girls said, well, we'll go with you. And she goes, look, it's going to be rough. I mean, there's not going to be any husband. I mean, it's going to be pretty bad. And she said, well, I believe I'll stay here in the wash pot. But Ruth said, not me. I repent. I'm a Moabitess. I'm the wash pot. God is, is putting everything on me he don't want. It's awful. I'm a condemned race. But your God will be my God. And I'll die where you die. And off she goes to Bethlehem uh, of a condemned race. And she's also in the Christmas story. So if God can save a woman out of the wash pot and a prostitute out of a condemned city, he could have saved this Amalekite and he could save you if you'll just come just as you are and not as you're not. Put the lies behind you. Put the loot behind you. Leave it here and come to the king and be accepted in the kingdom. That's it. I'm done. But you're not done. If the Holy Spirit, dear church member, in the balcony down here, if the Holy Spirit is telling you that you're a member of First Baptist Church, but you're a liar and a looter and a looker, and you need to repent, you come to the king. How do you come to the king? Well, you walk down the aisle and you come to the pastor in a few minutes. And the pastor will pray with you and encourage you. And somebody will show you and lead you to the king. But you got to come just as you are. Just as you are. Maybe God's leading you to another decision. We're here to help. We want you to come as the Lord leads. Let's stand for our song of appeal. This is Cole Andrews. Thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. Just wanted to encourage you to visit our website, fbcosms.com.